This is The Think Tank with Dr. Michael Neal, talking about the major political, economic, and social issues of the week. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our guest in the first half of this show is Terry Goddard. He's back with the Dark Money Initiative, Prop 211. Terry's history is the father of the district system in Phoenix, former mayor of Phoenix and attorney general. And by the way, that's a lead into the second half of the show when we will discuss the attorney general's race with candidate Chris Mays and who's running for the office that you held. And uh, but on to dark money. Uh, What would your prop 211? What would it do? Well, Prop 211, now that we're on the ballot, finally, after many, many signatures gathered by citizens out in the field, is very simple. It would give Arizonans the right to know who is behind these political ads that right now all you see is a funny-sounding name like Americans for Peanut Butter uh, that tells you nothing about who is actually paying for the ads. And, And I believe, and we've we've found an awful lot of Arizonans who agree with me, that that's wrong. You need to know who the sponsor is so you can evaluate the message. And as I recall, also, the issue is also original source. In other words, you can't you can't launder the money through Citizens for Nice Puppies. That's right. I mean, the Citizens for Nice Puppies is what right now you see on the disclaimer on the ads mm-hmm. in Arizona because it's allowed. Arizona has been really protective of allowing major political contributors to hide their identity. And we paid a big price for that. Uh, And I think Arizona voters are aware of it. And they're just wanting to have a have a clear idea of who it is, the original source, as you said, the person or the corporation that's legal under Citizens United, who paid the check, not some intermediary that they pass the money through so that Mm -hmm. their participation would be hidden. There is no right to hide in the American Constitution. If you're going to be a political speaker, you need to stand up and people need to be able to evaluate your message when you're buying advertising based upon who you are. Whose ox is being gored. Whose ox is being gored, what the special interest is that's behind that particular statement. And And when they hide, you can't evaluate the message because you just frankly don't know who the messenger is. Yeah. Uh, You see any number of things you see. Well, this this argument sounds good. I think we were in here before with somebody who was one of those groups. Mm-hmm. And, and basically, if they, you have a certain message and then you also recognize that, oh, wait a minute, they, if this happens, they're also going to make a lot of money. So take that into consideration. Yeah, that was, as I recall, a message about promoting national defense, national security. And what you didn't know, based on the, the nonprofit messenger was that the money behind it was from the tech industry who wanted to protect their monopoly. And I think 90% of it was Zuckerberg. Yes. It was, it was all Facebook money. Yeah. And, and, uh, but they were talking about how this was very important for Americans to protect their freedom. And, and national security, which, I mean, that's the technique in this. You, you, you tout something that everybody wants, freedom, economic, prosperity, whatever, and Absolutely. use it to push through or, something. And there's a flip side. Mm-hmm. Dark money also allows you to do insidious, I believe, attacks because the the name on the dark money ad, the disclosure mm-hmm. on the dark money ad in current law in Arizona, obviously is not the individual of the corporation that earned the money. It's this shill, this intermediary that has no reputation to protect. And they can and say and will do anything 
Because, you know, as a former candidate, if you make a vicious negative attack about somebody, that may come back to haunt you. You may. If if you have to own it, if you have to say, I'm so-and-so corporation and I approve this ad, which is essentially what we're mm-hmm. asking them to do under Prop 211, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, you better be accountable. You better be ready to stand behind the truth of that statement. But right now you don't have to because the corporation that's really paying the money is filtering, is kiting their money through these intermediaries, these dark money corporations, so that that's all you see on the disclosure and you have no way to know who the interest is that's behind that statement. Now, I read the proposition, and my read of it is this is not for all contributions. You have to meet a certain threshold. And what I read, tell me if I got this right, any contribution over $5,000 and any group that spends over $50,000 on a statewide election or 25000 on a local race. Right. Um, so, if you would, the, the, would that then be? Let's say somebody gave a thousand dollars to each of twenty-five legislative candidates. Would they have to report? They would. Yes, they would, uh, because the in the aggregate, the, it's, it's in the aggregate. Mm-hmm. If and if by somebody you mean one of these uh, nonprofit corporations, yeah. for example, Americans for Peanut Butter, mm-hmm. um, uh, and and they gave a total of over five thousand dollars. For political activities, by political advertising mm-hmm. within the election cycle, in the two-year election cycle, then they would have to report their donors. Oh, in a total contributions over 5000 Is that right? So, in other words, That's well, right. if I gave $1,000 to five candidates, does that No, it's in a, the aggregate. It's in the aggregate. That's the 25000 No, the twenty-five is it, the, 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 the confusion here, and, and hopefully yeah. it's not that confusing. Uh, because this is what's on the ballot. It uses mm-hmm. the twenty. The, excuse me. The the two threshold numbers that you right. just recited. The the fifty thousand and the twenty five, and that's the expenditure number. In other mm-hmm. words, if I'm an organization out there and I spend forty five thousand dollars on a statewide campaign, mm-hmm. my contributors are not required to be disclosed. Okay. If I spend over fifty, then I need to tell the Secretary of State what contributions of over 5000 I received. I see. And that, that has to be original source. So the $100 contribution. contribution is being protected, Absolutely. notwithstanding. It, it, uh, that, is, that is considered, it will be lumped together as small contributions. And I assume the logic of this is uh, under $50,000, it's not having much of an impact on a statewide race. That's correct. And there are and some, I assume you discussed what, you, you had to think of what, a, what kind of limits made some sense. That's Without right, and, honest, and we wanted but... to have a a window where truly grassroots campaigns that do not have a lot of accounting uh, mm-hmm. techniques and, mm-hmm. and, and help uh, would be able to legally operate, uh, but that the big ones, the ones that are in the hundreds, Senate, the thousands, Senate and millions— yeah, Senate and governor's race in this state is now into eight figures, over $10 million. It absolutely is, you know. and—, and, and for that kind of expenditures, and the dark money we're talking about is in the tens of millions. Mm-hmm. It is a, it is a very big number. It has an impact on our elections, and frankly, if if you're spending over fifty thousand dollars, then there's a repeat. If you spend mm-hmm. another twenty five, then you've got to report the the additional expenditures in a short time. Uh, we tried to have uh, a, a good way, a fair way, to catch all of the contributors right up to election day. We'll be back with Terry Goddard talking about dark money when we return in the think tank in just a minute. 
The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Terry Goddard uh, discussing Prop 211, dark money. The proposal that, if passed, would require the disclosure of the original source of large campaign contributions. Okay, sounds like apple pie so far. It is apple pie. You must. It is very straightforward and simple. Who's against it, and what are they saying? Well, the folks who have thrived uh, with. Anonymous campaign cash, the ones that have been the intermediaries that we were talking about. Uh, obviously, they're against it because their bread and butter is in stake. Um, and, and they run out with uh, campaigns that say they're protecting donors' rights. And I find that really a surprising position because you and I, as donors to any political campaign, if you give over 50 bucks, you have to give your name, your home address, your phone, your, not your phone number, but your uh, your employer. So almost all Amer- Americans, almost all Arizonans who are participating financially in political campaigns have to disclose already. There are just a few that are wealthy individuals and, and big corporations who decide for reasons largely based on the result that they want to achieve that they don't want the voters to know who they are. So the real difference that this would make in is in opening the veil for entities that use a kind of a money laundering. Absolutely. Kind of, yeah, I mean, everybody so you're else, saying if I make a contribution, it goes over $50, it gets publicly reported. It gets reported. publicly reported to the Secretary of State. That's been the law as long as I've been involved in politics in Arizona. But if I set up and solely fund an organization, uh, we love we love cute puppies— and give them a million dollars, and they intend in, in in turn disperse it to candidates. That gets reported as a contribution from from cute puppies. From cute. But puppies. let me be clear: uh, they don't give it to candidates; they give it to independent campaigns. Okay. So what we're talking yeah. about here are those those parallel campaigns. You know, there are limits mm-hmm. on com- campaign contributions to candidates, and that's that. That's what fostered this independent, i.e. expenditures, because they said you put in, we put in limits to campaigns. So then there, I think uh, it was largely a court case that came down that said you can't limit, um, uh, can't limit these uh, independent groups, right? Right. And they aren't. They're unlimited in terms of contributions. And with dark money protections, they're unlimited uh, as to just they don't have to make any mm-hmm. disclosures. So the the cute puppy's uh, name goes on the ad that goes on the secretary of state disclosure. And there is no other way for a voter or even a reporter to find out who it is that was really behind the ad because the uh, 501c4 Corporations and that's a, that's corporations. a nonprofit, it's not a non-profit, but not a taxable, not tax right. deductible. It's an advocacy organization under mm-hmm. the IRS code, and it does not have to disclose its donors. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't, and Arizona doesn't require it in any other way. Arizona basically has a law. I think it's the most permissive, most liberal uh, protection for dark money sources in the nation. It mm-hmm. basically says if you're if you're filed with the IRS as a nonprofit. You don't have to do anything else. You just spend money in Arizona. Uh, you don't have to have a local campaign committee. You don't have to have uh, any other uh, official presence. You just can spend money. And, and nobody I, else – this is yeah, the other important yeah. part. Nobody else can limit 
your or, or require you to do additional disclosure. So when Tempe, by a vote of over 91 percent, approved a, a similar uh, transparency mm-hmm. ordinance to what we're proposing in Prop 211, uh, the legislature swooped in and preempted them. It basically said, no, you can't do that or you'll be forfeiting your state-shared revenues, which is a big part of what Tempe and gets. this was up for a vote also in Phoenix, as I recall. It was. In Phoenix, it was a slightly lower number, but it was 85% mm-hmm. said, yes, we want to see transparency in our elections. We want to see, we want to know who's behind the ads. And the legislature went in to protect the dark money sources, basically giving them a, a, a greater ability to hide than they have any place else in the country. So we, we're sort of the tip of the spear for dark money in, our, in, mm-hmm. in Arizona. Well, th- that accounts for is this this your second or third bite at the it's apple? It's actually the fourth. The fourth. We started. And all in the others were kept off the ballot, if I remember correctly. Well, right? it was it was a series of of, of the the first one uh, we started too late and really didn't have the resources to go forward. That was back in twenty sixteen, twenty eighteen. I think we had enough, but that we were taken off by the Supreme Court for reasons that I am still mad about. Uh, twenty eighteen. Was that strict compliance stuff? Um, no, it was. A provision that required any paid circulators to respond to subpoenas. Oh, right. If they didn't respond to the subpoena... All of the signatures that they gathered were taken off. And 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 if you know anything about who these paid circulators are, they're they're far, they're people who are very mobile. And, they're very mobile, yeah, they're, yes. And and there were ten that were picked out that uh, collectively had passed had had gotten enough signatures uh, mm-hmm. that when they were disqualified because they never got the subpoenas. The the, the unlike most statutes that require subpoenas mm-hmm. to be delivered and actually the person who's being subpoenaed is supposed to know that they got subpoenaed. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Arizona law in election cases for circulators of petitions doesn't require that they get the- that they get them. They just require that they be delivered to a particular address. So they were delivered. They were delivered at night to a security guard in the building, and we never knew that they'd been subpoenaed. That's mm-hmm. that's why I'm still mad about that decision. But then in 2020, we were ready to go. We could have been on the ballot, but COVID hit in March, mm-hmm. and we had to. Stop well, circulating I because look at, it was too dangerous. I look at 91% in Tempe and 85% in Phoenix, and I wouldn't project that out to the state, but I would be absolutely astounded if you're not over 51%, probably not well, even I, close. I, I, if I you get, in other words, I, I looked at this and said, if you're going to get beat, it's not going to be at the ballot. It's going to be in court, and I assume they'll take another. They tried to... They tried to question signatures and then and afterwards uh, when it pa- and I think it passes. I, I, I don't I, I mean, I just I, I, I how many your th- greater. Knowledge. Well, you know, something that passed 85 percent in Phoenix, you know, that Tucson might be a little might be more supportive. The rural areas may be a little less. But how many things have we ever voted on? that passed by that kind of margin. <laughs> well, in our democracy, you know? that's as close to unanimous yeah, as you can get. Yeah. And and uh, frankly, I've still got my fingers crossed. I take nothing for granted that's on the ballot. Uh, but it's it. Arizonans are fair people, I think, and they mm-hmm. want to see transparency regardless of their party. Well, and, I think and, to a lot of people, it's do you want to know or do you want to not know? Well, that's it. That's I mean, how, of, do, how do you argue this? No, I prefer to see an ad and have absolutely no idea who who sponsored it. I don't mm-hmm. I don't really care what what the original motivation for this particular message was. Uh, you know, fool me. Go ahead, mm-hmm. fool me. And and I don't hear anybody saying that. Uh, that's that that would have to be what you the folks who want dark money to continue would have to say. Yeah, it's it's fine to fool the voters all the time. You know, take Abe Lincoln's uh, comment and, mm-hmm. and sort of put it on its head. 
Take this out. Let's say this passes. Let's say that it survives the court challenges and let's say it becomes law. How describe to me what what happens to our politics in your in your well, mind. it'll what be happens? what do you want to under a hundred in July in Arizona and, and in Phoenix and, and we have other promises <laughs> that we're going to make. Um, I think the main uh, obviously it will uh, it will improve responsibility, accountability. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, as you said earlier, if somebody has to put their name on the ad and put it on the disclosure, they take responsibility for it. And if they have a, a reputation to protect and the major corporations that have been involved with dark money do, they have a reputation. And so they're not going to say when their name's on it, something irresponsible or defamatory or maybe outright false. So it may have a constraining um, effect on what people are willing to pay for. I think it will change the tenor of the ads mm-hmm. and the, the vicious attack ads that are so prevalent and are so often funded by dark money will be far fewer. I can't say that they're going to vanish from the airways. That would mm-hmm. be naive. But when folks have to take responsibility and put their name on the ad, we've seen it on the Internet. If If you don't have your name... While things get said, if you have to take accountability, then obviously the debate becomes more more factual, more modulated, more civil. And frankly, I think that would be the major impact, that the, the vicious tenor of campaigns in Arizona and frankly across the country, but we're only going to influence mm-hmm. Arizona here, would be moderated and I think significantly improved. That's Terry Goddard. In, an interesting analogy, because we sure as heck have seen how anonymous stuff on the Internet goes vicious. Uh, anonymous ads tend to be attack ads, and that's got to stop. Among other things, Terry's former attorney general, and as promised, our next guest wants that job. She's Chris Mays, and she's running for that office, and she will be in this studio after the break in the Think Tank on KTAR. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. Our thanks to Terry Goddard, who just left here, and this discussion of the Dark Money Initiative Prop 211. He was, as I mentioned in that segment, among other things, a long resume, former attorney general. We have with us now the Democratic candidate for attorney general, Chris Mays. Her Republican opponent, Abe Hamada, was invited to participate but did not respond to multiple invitations. You're here. Welcome. Thank you, Mike. It's great to be here. Here's a, here's a bio. Born in Prescott, yeah. valedictorian at ASU. By the, by the way, how come candidate? You know, I, I did not find that on your webpage. When candidates are smart, why do they hide it? <laughs> is that really not on our webpage? It That's is not on your web. It's okay. ASU is there. Valedictorian yeah. is not. I think it's not the be all and the end all, but I think it's, a, it's an accomplishment worthy of note. Thank you. Uh, also, a uh, former journalist, uh, yeah. that came up in your debate on PBS as kind of a slur. Though <laughs> uh, no, I did calculate your opponent was eight years old when you left the Arizona Republic. Right. Masters for Columbia. And as I recall, this this is from my memory um, and not on any of the sites, but I think your thesis was on energy deregulation. Right? That's right. Yeah. Um, Electric deregulation. And, deregulation. Okay, my memory is not that bad then. Yeah. And a law degree from ASU. And as a result... In part, perhaps, of that focus, you were initially appointed and then elected to a seat on the Corporation Commission from 2003, 2007. Exactly. Okay. You've had a number of different positions. Which one of these uh, positions or educational experience has most impacted how you would view your attorney general agenda? 
Oh, pr- boy, that is a great question, but almost certainly my time on the Arizona Corporation Commission, um, which I think really sets me up well to do uh, to do this uh, job uh, of uh, being the Attorney General of Arizona. Um, Mike, as you know, the Corporation Commission um, regulates uh, all of the state's utilities, but also prosecutes civil securities fraud. Um, we return tens of millions of dollars to the victims of fraud in the state of Arizona, and oftentimes actually worked with the Attorney General's office um, on fraud cases. The Baptist Foundation case was one case was still going on while I was uh, Might there. Might have to explain that one to an aging audience. Yeah, that's, that's right. A, that's now, it was a big deal. It was but a big a deal back old. then when many seniors were defrauded of, of money and, 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 and not just seniors. And, and, you know, we went after that case, both the commission and the Attorney General's office. I believe Terry Goddard uh, may have been Attorney General at the time or, or certainly dealt with it. Um, And so, you know, just, you know, that experience of having, you know, overseen 2,700 cases while I was a commissioner, both utility related cases, but also civil, you know, securities fraud cases, protecting the people of Arizona, getting big things done for the people of Arizona. And I think we proved that when I was on the commission, the East Valley Tribune called my corporation commission the best commission in 50 years. And that's because we did, we, we put our heads down. We worked on the people's business. We did what was in the public interest. We made hard decisions every single day. Um, and we left politics at the doorstep. And that is the kind of attorney general that I will be. But I think we still can get big things done in Arizona. When I was on the commission, we passed Arizona's first renewable energy standard. That standard has saved Arizona 23 billion gallons of water. What do we need today but water? Um, we also passed the, the nation's leading energy efficiency standard. Yes, we are number one for something really good in this country. And it's the amount of energy efficiency we require the utilities to do. That standard has saved consumers $9 billion. That's in the uh, production of energy or yes. in home? In in the production. So essentially, it says utilities, instead of going out and building a lot of big new power plants, which are costly, and those costs get pass, passed on to ratepayers mm-hmm. and consumers, do energy efficiency, which is basically the energy we don't produce by having more energy efficient lighting, et cetera, and the utilities helping people put in energy efficient lighting and energy efficient air conditioners. So that's where it came from. You see all these things from the utilities. I get them, you know, yeah. Will help. Will help pay for insulating your home. Yeah, or and, and more efficient because uh, air conditioners. Exactly, and because by you doing that, you are you and everybody else are saving Arizona ratepayers billions of dollars. And we said, look, let's go down that road, and we did. We were also tough on corporations when we needed to be. When Kinder Morgan, uh, Kinder Morgan's pipeline burst west of Tucson, I immediately flew to Houston, Texas, and I looked Richard Kinder in the eyes, one of the wealthiest men in America, and I said hey, by the time I'm done in office, you will have repaired or replaced all 617 miles of your gasoline pipeline. And Mike, by the time I had, I finished in 2010, he had repaired or replaced all 617 miles of his gasoline pipeline, making Arizona safer. And that's what this job of attorney general is about, which is making Arizona safer. It's about public safety. It's about protecting the people of the state. You know, I want to prosecute consumer fraud, prosecute elder abuse, 
prosecute and go after the fentanyl crisis that we have, protect our water supplies, um, and, you know, protect democracy. And uh, quite frankly, though I uh, can't believe I'm I'm having to say this, and, and we're talking about this, but our democracy in Arizona is under attack um, by people like my opponent, by, 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 you know, the top three Republican candidates for statewide office this year. Um, and this, and, and the next attorney general who, who we, who we elect the next attorney general could very well determine whether or not American democracy survives. Because if we have an AG like my opponent who says that he would not have certified the 2020 election or wants to decertify the 2020 election, what, by the way, that's not a thing and it's illegal, mm-hmm. um, then then we will have law. And, and if he does that in 2024, then we will have lost our democracy. And it's it's that stark and it's that simple. Um, and we have got to have an AG who will uphold the rule of law, protect our elections, make sure that we protect people's votes and make sure that they, they're counted and not um, undermined by, by these uh, folks, these very scary election deniers that we have running on the opposite side. Could, could you explain to me a little bit about the process? The, uh, it, it, we're talking about threats to democracy and, and basically I know that it starts with the county recorders. The county recorders, right. not everybody knows this. The county recorders really run the elections. They count the votes, et cetera. Right. Then that gets, and correct me if I'm right, in effect, accumulated by the secretary of state. I don't think the secretary of state uh, puts their hands on a single ballot, right? They just right. They, yeah, that's they right. write the manual for procedures. Correct. And they, they are yes. titularly. Now, explain that and where in that. And then what I remember seeing as well, that last election got certified by the secretary of state who kind of blessed it. And then in the, the famous uh, uh, session where the governor sat there about right. to, uh, the, the <laughs> one where the, the president was calling on his cell phone. <laughs> right. and what was it? Hail to the chief was yes. the ringtone. And, yes. and he signed the thing. Yes. Now, where... Where does the I, I don't remember the attorney general being part of that process. Where attorney does the attorney general, general come in? Yeah, the that? AG actually does participate in the certification pro- process and is one of the and witnesses the certification mm-hmm. is one of the three elected officials that are necessary to the the finalization mm-hmm. of that certification process. And you know it's really dangerous and unbelievable that I, that my opponent uh, in this AG race w- has said he would not have uh, certified or witnessed. Uh, that 2020 election. He believes it was rigged. He believes apparently that Donald Trump was was the victor in that election. Of course, that's insane, ridiculous, um, and and unacceptable. And I, I believe the people of Arizona are going to reject this um, up and down the ballot. Um, but it is it is fair to say that American democracy runs through the state of Arizona in 2022. But you're you're absolutely right. And you know the counter recorders are pivotal to our election system. And the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, people like my opponent continually attack them. Uh, my opponent went on stage with Donald Trump outside of my hometown of Prescott recently and uh, went on stage with him in Mesa most recently and said, chanted the words, lock them up, referencing elections officials. Um, this is why we're seeing Great elections officials like Leslie Hoffman, the county recorder of Yavapai County, quit 
along with her chief deputy, because they got so many death threats from from Trump supporters. Um, And, you know, this is this is terrible. This is terrible. And, you know, I want to be very clear. Um, I will prosecute when I'm attorney general anyone who interferes with our elections, who threatens uh, violence or carries out violence against our elections officials or uh, threatens death against our our elections officials. We can't have this and we cannot stand for it. Um, The other thing I want to be clear about is we will investigate the fake electors. You know, that we that Mm -hmm. cannot stand either. Um, And when I'm attorney general, it looks like Mark Burnovich has done nothing about that. Um, I'm not exactly sure if he's, he's, you know, taking any investigatory steps, but it doesn't look like it. And uh, when I'm attorney general, we will we will investigate it and prosecute it if if that's where the evidence lead us leads us. In that case, I'm wondering what the the where does the word investigation come in? Because I looked, didn't everything they do wasn't that pretty much yeah. out in public? Well, they videotaped their <laughs> yeah. crime, yeah. so you know, well, yeah. yeah, we'll obviously have to take in that videotape. Uh, yeah, it's quite quite amazing. They videotaped their crime and put it out on the Internet. We'll obviously have to take that in and then also interview folks. But, you you know, you just can't have that. And and unfortunately, what the Republicans are also plotting, it certainly looks like to, to, to us, is another attempt to uh, assume unto themselves that the legislature, Republican legislators want to pass a bill that would assume unto them the ability to essentially create their own uh, set of electors, essentially do what Donald Trump wanted them to do with mm-hmm. this for these fake electors. Arizonans will reject that as well or don't accept it. And Arizonans want want their votes to count. Uh, no one believes the legislature has the right to decide who the next president is. But if you have a Republican legislator, a legislature and a Republican governor, how does the public stop that? Well, I'll do everything I can to stop it, and I'll take them to court if I have to, because it's unconstitutional. Okay. With that thought, we'll return in the moment. Uh, we are here with Chris Mays, Democratic candidate for attorney general. We'll be back in a moment. The Think Tank, KTAR News on 92.3 FM and KTAR.com. We're back with Chris Mays, attorney general uh, candidate. One of the things you, you just caught my attention last discussion, you mentioned Elections officials having been had their lives threatened, uh, yeah. not just nasty tweets, but physical threats. Um, to your knowledge, uh, is there any legal follow up on that? Has any of that been investigated or pro- I certainly haven't heard of a prosecution? Has anybody picked up the ball on that? I, to, to my knowledge, no. Um, but, uh, you know, certainly, as I said, I I would. Um, and and I think, uh, you know, we, we've got to have prosecutors who are willing to uphold the laws that um, prevent that kind of intervention in our election system. I mean, you know, it's just like I said, outrageous that my opponent – um, is out there chanting, lock them up about our elections officials. And as I said in my debate with him, you know, he, you mentioned he wouldn't come on this show. He won't go on pretty much any show. And he has backed out of all of our future debates. Um, he did. You were together me. on the PBS. We were. And, the, and clean elections, the debate. clean elections yeah. debate. We were. And I said to him at that debate, I said, so Abe, exactly which elections officials are you going to lock up? You're going to lock up Leslie Hoffman. You're going to lock up Stephen Richer, the success 
successful Republican Maricopa County recorder. Are you going to lock up Bill Gates or Clint Hickman, Maricopa County supervisors? Who are you going to lock up? And with what evidence are you going to do that? So, you know, and, and the problem is that kind of behavior by candidates is, I think, fuel and obviously by Donald Trump is fueling um, the 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 fire that is leading to these death threats from from folks. Um, and so we're just not going to put up with it. You know, it's irresponsible. The candidates need to knock it off. Um, and that was the point that I was trying to make to him at that debate. Knock it off, Abe. Stop it. It's irresponsible. You are, are part of the problem. You are causing this problem. Um, but when I'm attorney general, we will we will not put up with, with it. This business of, of stolen elections. I had a Republican senator here and I I asked him the question, how many of these of your colleagues actually believe this? He said probably 5 percent. <laughs> right. Um, and uh, uh, I mean, is, is your sense of I mean, obviously, there are candidates playing to the I, I think um, that high, uh, among supporters, we know what it is. It's it's probably a quarter, 30 percent of the population, possibly more than half of the Republican registrants. Right. I don't know. I don't I don't know how many uh, I will say in my you know, I'm a former Republican myself. Um, I spent 30 years as a Republican. I spent almost as much time as a Republican as my opponent has been alive. (laughs) And so, um, you know, I it 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 makes me sad. It really does. It makes me sad to see that this is where where um, a, a, a significant portion of of the of my former party has gone, but it's not the entire party, and and that's why I'm welcoming Republicans to vote for me. There are plenty moderate Republicans out there, or or even just conservative Republicans who I think can look at me and say, "Hey, that's somebody who's going to be a lawyer for all of the people of Arizona, not one political party or the other, and certainly not a former president." I watched your clean election debate, you said no abortion prosecutions. Uh, would that normally be the purview of the attorney general or would it be more the county attorneys? It's a, the, and, it I, is, and, and also, I want a second part of the question is, where in general, where is the line between what the attorney general does and what the county attorneys do? Sure. So uh, fair question. And, and the county attorneys would play a significant role in that. So that who people elect as their county attorney is going to be um, uh, uh, important as well. But the attorney general, um, you know, has the has supervisory authority, number one, over county attorneys. And certainly what I have said is, you know, I believe that this insane 1864 law um, that would allow prosecutors to lock up doctors, nurses, pharmacists, possibly even women for abortion care it is unconstitutional under the Arizona Constitution and specifically Article 2, Section 8, which that's, sta- privacy. that's the privacy clause of which, our Constitution. Which the, in Roe v. Wade, the... Uh, U.S. Supreme Court imputed in the case of Arizona, it's explicit. It's explicit. And I think that's an important distinction. We in Arizona's Constitution, crafted back in 1911, 1912, right? 
um, has an explicit right to privacy. Roe was, of course, predicated on an implied right to privacy. And when Dobbs, the United States Supreme Court, kicked this issue back to the states, they kicked it back to the states. And they kicked it back to the supreme law of the states. And in Arizona, that is the Arizona Constitution. And I know it's an inconvenient fact for my opponents that we have this express right to privacy, but we do. And so what I've said is I will never prosecute a doctor, nurse, a a pharmacist or midwife uh, or a woman for abortion because of that express right to privacy. And I will tell county attorneys that I believe it would be unconstitutional for them to do so as well. Is that your bit? The question I was going to follow up with, and you may have just answered it here, is, okay, some would say your job as attorney general is to follow the law, not make it. And I would ask, what's the ethical basis for ignoring, for example, the uh, current abortion law, the 1860, which no matter how repugnant you may find it, yeah. um, is is I think I might have heard your answer is a belief that it's unconstitutional. Yeah, why, I, on why, the law. Why, why, why not? You know, you know, it is a it is a repugnant law, um, and and the vast majority of Arizonans disagree with imposing an 1864 law on the women of this state um, that was crafted before we were a state, before the Civil War was over, before women could vote, and before doctors had even decided it was a good idea to wash their hands. Um, <laughs> so let's get that straight. But yes, it's unconstitutional. So on the law. On the law, I believe that it's unconstitutional, and that's why I'm saying we won't prosecute it. Okay. Uh, again, this ca- came out of the clean elections debate. Your opponent said you're weak on border issues. What's your agenda, and how would you differ from your predecessor? Well, he isn't. He hasn't obviously been listening much to me, um, and uh, I absolutely uh, do believe that we need to do more about the border situation. There is a surge happening. We have a, also a surge of fentanyl coming into the state through our border um, and through the ports of entry. So I will. Uh, number one, advocate for the state to spend more money on the fentanyl crisis. You know, look, who's in charge? We've got a Republican governor and a Republican attorney general right now. And a legislature. And a Republican legislature. And they have allowed the fentanyl crisis to get out of control. So I will go after this fentanyl crisis. I will advocate. I will use all the resources available to me inside the AG's office and advocate for this legislature to let loose of some of this $5 billion that they're sitting on, a mountain of cash. Cash, Mike, that they're not using to, to tackle the fentanyl crisis. And I will advocate that the Biden administration do a lot more to uh, modernize our ports so we can stop the fentanyl as it's coming through the ports of entry. It's also coming through, unfortunately, through the air from China and India. And we've got to get this federal government has to get it that, that under control as well. I've heard it argued that, well, we need to uh, tighten up the border because the cartels are there and we want we got to get there. I, I listen to that and I say, it seems to me the cartels are in the business of smuggling people because it's because of that very, you know, if, if you, the, I don't know if you saw there was a eight it was a, regarded by many as the most definitive study. We have already increased border security, if you go back 25 years, by 20x. In other words, we are spending constant dollars 20 times what we were since roughly the Clinton administration Mm -hmm. that first increased um, border uh, security. And the net result of that study was probably a 30% increase in um, 
in uh, migration because people used to come here temporarily to work. They'd go back. Now, if it's tough to get across the border, if they get across, they bring their family. Yeah, it's 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 interesting in the money. It, uh, it's you know, but I I do think we've got to do more. Uh, but we have to have solutions, Mike. You know what? It, rhetoric isn't going to get it done. That's what my opponent has been been doing. We need real solutions. We need to come together, all of us, Republicans, Democrats, Independents, find solutions. We need to be working at the state level and the federal level. And I think that kind of cooperation just hasn't been happening. And as Attorney General, I'll bring that kind of attitude and and solutions oriented approach to to dealing with the the border. Um, sex trafficking is another issue that I will tackle as attorney general. Um, and it's absolutely vital. Thank you very much. Chris Mays, Democratic uh, candidate for attorney general. Uh, we'll have another uh, uh, set of uh, candidates for secretary of state next week. And if you want to reach me, the website is mikeoneal.org. And that can be a vehicle for reaching me via social media, email, and the, and the likes. See you next week in the Think Tank.